Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pirkei Avos podcast with Rabbi Shlomo Kohn, where we live with the ethics of the Torah. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to me at Rabbi Shlomo Kohn with a K at gmail.com. For this week's Mishnah, we begin with Chapter 5, Mishnah 7. Perikei, Mishnah Zion. There were 10 miracles that happened to our forefathers in the Holy Temple. A woman never miscarried because of the smell of the sacrificial meat. And the holy meat of the carbonos of the sacrifices never rotted. That was number two. Number three. And there was never a fly seen in the slaughtering area of the Beis Hamikdash. Number four, and the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, never had a seminal mission on Yom Kippur. Number five, in the Beis Hamikdash, there was a a there were different altars and a. And the rain never put out the fire that was on top of the altar. Number six. And the wind never pushed the, the pillar of smoke into different directions. In the Beis Amigdash, the Ketores was given twice a day. In the morning and evening. And there was a certain way that the that the Ketores was made, that the smoke of the Ketores, of the incense, created a straight pillar that went straight up. And the miracle was that no wind came and blew that column of, of smoke in any direction. It always stayed straight. Number seven. No disqualification was found in the Omer. So it's one of the carbonos, right? It wasn't an animal carbon. It was a meal offering. And the, sh- and the two loaves, that was another offering. Sorry, the two loaves, and the showbreads. Number eight. People stood in the crowded area together, but there was enough space for everyone. Number nine. A serpent, a, no snake or scorpion ever damaged the person in Yushalayim in Jerusalem. And number 10, and no person said to his friend, space, there's not enough space for us to be in Yushalayim in Jerusalem. So there's 10 miracles that are listed that happened while the temple was around in Yushalayim. Now I want to go through some of them because off the top of our head, off the top of my head, it doesn't seem like every single one is such a big miracle. What's the, the miracle in each one? And number two is what's the lessons, the purpose of these miracles that we can learn from and we could use going forward? Because as I always say, every Mishnah that we have, I like to make practical to each and every one of us nowadays. So even though we don't have a base on Migdosh right now, and God willing, the third one will be built speedily in our days. There is a lesson for each and every one of us here in this Mishnah as well, from the fact that we learn through the 10 miracles of the Beis HaMikdash. So let's start from the beginning. 
So the first miracle that was listed that happened while the Beis HaMikdash stood was the fact that no woman ever miscarried because of the smell of the holy meat. Now, it's a joke, right? We have, everyone makes a joke about pregnant women that they have a craving. Sometimes, you know, you go out to get pickles and ice cream at three o'clock in the morning. Now, the question is, is what's the miracle over here? Number one is no one had an urge and to eat the sacrificial meat. And even if a woman did have an urge to eat the sacrificial meat, if her life depended on it, we would be allowed to give her that meat because, right, only a Kohen is allowed to have this certain, certain sacrificial meats only Kohanim could have. And there were other sacrificial meats that nobody could have, that it was totally burnt. What's the miracle? And number two is even if, a woman had a desire. If she was deathly ill for it, they would have to. They would have an obligation to feed her this meat. So it's brought down that the miracle was that the fact that Hashem protected the Jewish people and the women from even getting that urge to begin with. As you can imagine, in Jerusalem, the temple was in the center of Jerusalem. The ancient Jerusalem was not as large as the Jerusalem today. But the smell of the Beis Amikdash, the smell of the roasted meat, went throughout the, the surrounding area of Jerusalem. And it was a sh- strong smell. It was probably a very good smell. And the, the miracle was is that Hashem protected the women. They never had the urge to have that meat and to, to desire it. They never had that desire to eat it. So you're right. Even if they would have the desire eat the meat and their life depended on it they would be given the sacrifice because we we always do whatever we can to save someone's life so over here Hashem took away that urge to protect them from having to come to that situation where they would have to eat from the meat what's the lesson what's the point of this miracle why did Hashem demonstrate his ability in this way what's what what can we learn from this and it's interesting, this is the first miracle that was brought down in the Beis HaMikdash. You know, you would think it should be a different one. So an important lesson which we can learn from this first miracle, that the fact that Hashem did not allow people, did not allow women to have this desire to eat the meat. Hashem protected them from having to, to, to eat the sacrificial meat. Is that sometimes we have a... We have a preconceived notion at times that if we do something good, we might harm ourselves. We might, something bad might come of it. The, the lesson here is that when we do things that are good, truly good, and we have good intentions and we do the right thing, nothing bad comes, comes of it. And that's the lesson here when it comes to the carbonos. Now, even if there was a quote unquote risk to the women smelling this meat, having this urge to eat the sacrificial meat, the fact that the Jewish people were doing what they're supposed to be doing, Hashem took care of the rest. He protected them from anything. He protected that nothing bad should come out from something holy, that only good should be involved, that only good should be attached to this, that no misfortune should come through doing a good thing. And a lot of times, this is a lesson for ourselves because many times we think to ourselves, if I do this, how is it going to affect me? Am I going to be able to, 
Is, is something bad going to happen to it? Am I going to be able to do it? Is this, gonna, is this good action that I'm about to accomplish going to affect me in a negative way? So we need to remember this lesson if we think we could do something. If, if, you know, if we could picture ourselves accomplishing a good thing, a good deed, a mitzvah, to learn Torah, we should know that nothing bad will come of it. I'm not telling a person that we should start jumping the ladder and start taking on things that we don't have any connection to or you know, that, that are maybe above our, that are too much for us at one shot. I'm not saying that. I'm saying is that if we, everybody knows their situation and everybody is on their growth trajectory, we're all going in upward motion, hopefully, and we want to get to a point where we're doing all the mitzvot in the best way possible. And we each know, we know ourselves and we try to push ourselves just a little bit more out of our comfort zone. And if we think we could do something, we can picture ourselves doing a certain mitzvah and accomplishing a certain good thing, we should go for it. Because if we, if we could see ourselves doing it and we could see ourselves accomplishing it, we can do it and we should know that nothing bad is going to come out of that. And that's a lesson which we, which we learned from this miracle of the Beis HaMikdash. That even if there is, quote unquote, a risk that there seems to be, or there seems to be a risk, we should know that if we think we could do this good thing, if we think we could accomplish this mitzvah, we can observe this mitzvah, each person can plug in their scenario and their situation, you should go for it. Because if you go for it, nothing bad will come out of it. Number two, the second miracle. The sacrificial meat never became putrid. That was the second miracle that happened in the temple. As you can imagine, in those times, there were many sacrifices being given on a daily basis in the Beis Amikdash, in the Holy Temple. And at some times of year, there would be a tremendous influx of sacrifices, right? As the holidays, special times of year, each person who would come up for the three pilgrimages, the Shalosh Regalim, would have to bring a carbon. So you can imagine there was a lot more sacrifices being brought then. And even on a regular day, there were certain sacrifices that needed to be brought that were mandatory. And besides for that, there were also optional sacrifices that people brought presents to the temple. There was no refrigeration in those days. So you can imagine that there's a very high chance that meat should start spoiling, especially if it's in the open and there's a backlog of what has to be taken care of. It's very easy to imagine a scenario where you, there could have been rotting flesh in the base of English and it could have stunk and not smell, smell good. So the miracle was is that Hashem made it that the meat of the carbonos, the meat of the sacrifices, never rotted in the Beis Amigdash, in the Holy Temple. This is something which it seems is obviously a miracle. If you look at it at face value, that something should not rot and it shouldn't smell and it should just, it shouldn't, you know, it's like above the laws of nature. So what's the lesson that we can take out of this for ourselves? We know that our job in this world is to elevate ourselves, to make ourselves better people. 
And there's this constant tug of war we have between our body and our soul. Our body is the physical and our soul is the spiritual. The body desires pleasure and the soul desires spirituality. And there's a constant tug of war. Who is going to win? The spirituality or the physical? Our mission that we have, take the spiritual desire within ourselves and harness the physical to serve the spiritual, to make us into holier people. Now, you would think, okay, so how much effect could the spiritual have on the physical? What could you do already? So you could feel a little bit good inside. If, if you win the battle, if the spirituality inside of us wins the war, wins a battle against the physical, okay, so we, we'll feel good about ourselves. But how much does it actually affect me, my, my flesh and blood me? How much does it affect me? Does it change my physical being that I'm different? Does it make me into a new person? Miracle in the base on Migdash is giving us an important lesson. We see from the fact that the flesh of the animals never rotted, that we have physical animals. And what makes these animals holy or different is the fact that somebody pronounced on them and said, this should be holy. And they were offered as a sacrifice. So we see an important lesson here that when a person, that if a cow that was just an utterance was set upon it, that it should be sanctified as a carbon, as a sacrifice, has the ability to become elevated that it shouldn't even rot. It becomes so elevated and holy that the physical nature of this piece of meat is not rotting. It stays fresh. It didn't change. So all the more so us, who are also flesh and blood, but we have a spiritual soul inside of ourselves. If we harness the spirituality within ourselves to use the physical to serve the spiritual, we have the ability to elevate ourselves in such a way that our physical being changes, that we become holy and sanctified. It's not just there's a battle between spiritual and physical, and now the spiritual one, we feel good about ourselves. We feel that, you know, that, that warm fuzziness inside of ourselves when we do a good deed. It's more than that. It's that our physicality is changing. We are changing as a person to the point where if a person gets to the level, their body becomes holy. And there's many stories which were brought down, some of them not even so long ago, of great and righteous people who live their lives serving God. And for whatever reason, their bodies had to be exhumed. And I think a few of these stories happened during the Holocaust. One of them I'm thinking of offhand is Rebbe Elimelech of Lezhensk, if I remember correctly, is that the Nazis ordered the Jewish people to, they knew that Rebbe Elimelech of Lezhensk was one of the great Hasidic masters. Until this day, people go to his gravesite to pray throughout the year and especially on his yard site. And they ordered the Jewish people of that town to dig up their great rabbi because this is what the Nazis did. They wanted to belittle the Jews in any way they could and disrespect. And when they, they forced the people to dig up the rabbi Melech of Lezhensk and to open the casket, the 
the people saw that his body was whole and the wetness was still in his beard from the ritual washing that he had gotten. Every person passes, there's a special way that a Jewish person is buried. Um, according to halacha, that we, we, a person is washed because they're going to the next world. And the washing that he had, the wetness was, he was, his body was so fresh that the wetness was still in his beard. That means that as a person, he was so holy that he, his body became a different body. He rose above the physical laws of nature. This, there, there has been many stories. This is something, it might, may seem far from us in our minds, such a concept and such a level. But we each can strive in different areas of our lives to change ourselves, to change the physicality within ourselves. Because every time we do something good and we overpower the animal soul within us, we are changing. We are becoming different. Maybe we don't see it. We don't feel it as much. But every time you do another mitzvah, you learn a little more. You push yourself to do something good for someone else. You're, you're pushing into your kishkas, into your insides. You're changing yourself. You're changing the physicality within ourselves. And this is something we should, the outlook we should have within ourselves. And we should realize that when we do good things, this is what ha what's happening. Maybe we don't feel it as much. Maybe we don't recognize it as much, as much but that's what's happening. Let's continue. Number six, the wind did not disperse the vertical column of the, of the Ketores. Now the Ketores was a incense offering which was brought in the Besamikdosh twice a day. It was a very special offering. It was an atonement for Lashon Hara, for evil speech and other various sins. And it also was something which was brought brought wealth to the Jewish people. And even till today, they there's a sigula, which is a there was a it's a custom that people have that they recite the verses of the Ketores daily, and it's brought down that it's a sigula, uh, a a good omen, or it's a good thing to do if a person wants to have wealth, because the Ketores was a powerful offering, and it was brought. Twice a day. Now, as I mentioned before, there was this column of smoke. There's different things which were included in the Ketores, different ingredients, and it's actually prohibited to make an exact replica of the Ketores nowadays. Only you could have it when we have the temple. That's when we can make the Ketores. But there were different parts of the Ketores, and the way that it was made, I think you know, the, there were different families that did certain jobs, but the family that knew how to make the Ketores, there was a certain technique certain way that they set the Ketores up that it would create a straight pillar of smoke up to the sky. Now, the miracle was that when, whenever the wind came, it would not blow away the Ketores, as you can imagine. Smoke should be blown away by wind. It's easily, it's so light. How light is smoke is something which can easily be blown all over the place. And the miracle was that Hashem kept the column in its place and it stayed straight. The lesson here from the miracle of the Ketores, from the fact that it did not blow, is that we know smoke is something, like I mentioned before, is something that can be blown easily. And wind is a powerful force. 
Wind can destroy buildings. It can blow us away. And still, the wind was held back from blowing away the light, light, easy smoke of the Ketores. Many times in life, we hopefully have a mission. We want to do what's right. We have ideals. We have goals. We have principles. We have things which we stand for. But when we have a higher purpose or a mission, what we're driven to do, what we believe in with our heart and soul, nothing can stop us from achieving. Because just like the wind couldn't blow away the smoke, so too if a person has a purpose in life, he has a higher course of action, he's driven for a higher cause, nothing can stop him and no one could, could, take, it, could take away his meaning in life. We know that there's many stories in the Holocaust where the Nazis tried to break the Jewish people. And they would do certain things just to mentally break the Jewish people. And there's story after story after story where the Jews were maybe beaten physically, but they couldn't break the Jew inside. Because there's something higher that we're driven by. There's a higher purpose. And when we live with a higher purpose, that's our goals and that's our mission. That's what I believe in. So nothing can break you. Nothing can stop you. And nothing can stand in your way. Nobody and nothing can stand in your way. And that's the lesson of the miracle of the smoke. Number seven. The miracle of the Omer, the two loaves, and the showbread. That in the temple... The Omer offering and the showbread, the, the two loaves, which are another offering, which is offered by Shavuot's time. Right? The Omer is offered by Pesach time. The two loaves are offered by Shavuot's time. And the showbread, which was there every week. There's a common thread that runs through these three sacrifices. That is that if, if in any of these sacrifices, a disqualification was found, they would not be able to be offered for that year or for that week. Again, in these three offerings, there was only a specific time frame that they could be given, and there was no makeup for them. Meaning some sacrifices, if there's a mistake or something became impure, there's a way to make it up and to fix it. But for these three sacrifices, which were given, the Omer was given by Pesach once a year, the showbread was given on Shavuos once, once a year, and the showbread, which was every week, but there's no replacement for any of them. If something went wrong, the Jewish people would have lost the opportunity of giving these carbonos or, or having these special showbreads. The lesson of the showbreads and the two loaves, and the Omer, is that in life, we have a limited amount of time to accomplish. We're on this world, we're in this world, 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, 100 years, hopefully 120 years. It's really not so, so long when you think about it in the course of eternity. 
The next world is forever. We can't even imagine forever. But 120 years, not so, so long. And time is something which cannot be rectified. We could try to improve on from what happened, but the past is the past, and we're in the now, and the future is not yet. But we have to realize the importance of the opportunity that we have in front of us, that time cannot be replaced, that just like the sacrifices, these sacrifices had no, had no uh, replacements if something got messed up, so too with our opportunities, we should realize that the chances we have to do something good, to do a mitzvah, to learn Torah, we should try to take advantage of it and to utilize the opportunities we have in the best possible way and in the most constructive way. Fine, we might have situations where, where we might have to pass up a mitzvah. There's certain situations where we're faced with two different mitzvahs. But we have to realize, keep this outlook, keep the outlook of opportunity and the uniqueness of this time that it is not replaceable. Number nine, no snake or scorpion ever caused damage in Jerusalem. The Talmud brings down that it's not the snake that kills, it's the sin. That they are God's agent to give out the punishment that God assigns for them. Fine, let's keep going to number 10. No one in the city of Jerusalem ever said, it's not sufficient for me, meaning there's not enough space. Maybe the biggest miracle that no one in Jerusalem said, there's not enough space for me here. That when all the Jewish people came three times a year, or even not during the, the times of the three pilgrimages, during whenever Jerusalem was fully populated, and especially during the time of the Shalosh Regalim, where people, where the, all the Jewish people would come. No one ever said, there's not enough space for me. There's not enough economic opportunity for me here. Everyone felt that they had what they needed and they had the opportunity that was needed for them. Now, there's two lessons I want to take out of this. Is that I just met, we just mentioned before that the ninth miracle that happened in Jerusalem was that no snake or scorpion ever damaged anybody. And now the 10th miracle was that everyone had enough space for themselves and enough economic opportunity. Some commentaries explain that the last two miracles are actually connected to each other. Because as we know, in the Talmud, snakes and scorpions are always connected back to slander and gossip. The snake is always connected to Lashon Hara, evil speech. That when one, somebody speaks bad about another, it's an Avera, it's not a good thing. When people make pastimes about being, being negative or knocking other people or criticizing or speaking bad about others, so then everyone feels cramped. You don't feel comfortable around other people. You feel like you don't have enough room there's no one for you to turn to. And that's the connection between the ninth miracle and the tenth miracle. Because in Jerusalem, no one was damaged by a snake, meaning there was no gossip. People didn't speak ill of each other. They had other pastimes. Their pastime wasn't to speak bad about their neighbor. 
And therefore, because of that, everyone had enough space. No one felt threatened by, the, by another. Because when we feel threatened by people, we feel cramped. We feel like we have nowhere to turn. So the residents of Jerusalem, they were great people. They learned to not speak Lashon Hara about each other. And because of that, they were able to live their lives in this way that everyone felt that they had enough room. They didn't feel threatened by their friend. They felt they had opportunity. Everyone was able to live in peace because when you have peace, you have this, it creates a certain attitude and the attitude creates a certain understanding between people that everyone has what, they're, what they need and so on and so forth. The second lesson I wanted to take from the 10th miracle is that the miracle was that people said they have enough space. And like I mentioned before, some commentaries explain that to mean that everyone felt that they had enough economic opportunity. Sometimes people feel that their situation, I'm sure that we all know of, where someone maybe stepped on your toes in, in your work or someone opened a business that maybe competes with your business, we feel they're taking away our livelihood. They're taking away from what's supposed to be ours. We forget to remember, though, that Hashem is in control of our livelihood. Our parnasa, our sustenance, is determined by Hashem. And no one can change how much you will make. Not your competitor, not your boss, not the IRS. Only God determines how much money you're going to make this year. And a lot of times people get desperate. They forget to realize that Hashem is the one in charge. And we get desperate. We'll do things that maybe we shouldn't be doing. We'll take actions that are aggressive against other people. We'll, we'll undercut somebody else. We might get this mentality or try to do things that we think we're getting ahead. And in the process of doing these things, we'll ruin relationships with other people. We'll destroy someone else's business. We'll, we'll create a lot of tension. And the miracle was that everyone had this realization that their livelihood comes from Hashem. And that's a lesson for us to realize these things. And just the last point I want to go on for tonight is that we, we're talking about the base on Migdash in this Mishnah. So the question is, is what does the base on Migdash, the Holy Temple, have to do with me in 2021? Right now, we don't have the base on Migdash. We don't have the Holy Temple. We pray every day, three times a day, in Shemona Esrei and Amidah, that we, Hashem should rebuild it, the third one speedily within our days. But right now that we don't have it, what connection do I have to the base on Migdash? to the last two Beis HaMikdashes. How can I relate to its destruction? You know, we're coming up to the summer soon and there is going to be starting the three weeks of consoling where, where we mourn the loss of the Beis HaMikdash. Hopefully it could still turn around this year. But how do we relate to the temple? What's our connection to it? Quick explanation of this is that the Beis HaMikdash, the temple was Hashem's resting place in this world. It's a place where Hashem Shechina dwelled among us. It was a microcosm 
of how this world was supposed to be before the sin, of, before the original sin of Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, and how it will be when Mashiach comes, when the Messiah comes. There was a clear manifestation of God in this world. There was clarity. We had a certain connection that we don't have right now. I mean, God is still here in this world, but it's not as clear. We have missions to do in this world, but we don't know what we're supposed to do. We try. There's different ways that we try to figure out what our mission is, but we don't know 100%. What we're saying is that the Beis Migdash created this certain clarity for us that the fact that the Shechina, the divine presence rests in this world, gave us a certain clarity and understanding of how our things are supposed to be and how we are supposed to be. And just a, an example which I like to use to bring out of what the Beis Migdash is supposed to mean to us is that when a, a young person passes, it's a tremendous tragedy. Not that it's, a, it's not a tragedy when an older person passes away, but it's an, it's an especially sad situation in, in when, a, when a young person passes away. Why is that? Why is it so sad that a young person passed on, even more so than a person who lived their life to the fullest? So obviously there's different answers, different reasons why a person, why it's so sad. Maybe there's a family that is not supported, there's children. But an underlying factor that goes through all these reasons is that there was potential. There was potential that was not used. And now that this person is gone, that potential is gone. That person is never going to be who they could have become because they're out of this world now. And that's the mushal. That's the example I like to use for the Beis HaMikdash. That when the Beis HaMikdash stood, we knew how to access our potential. We knew how to be the best we could be to achieve greatness, to tap into ourselves to the biggest extent. But now that the Beis HaMikdash is gone, there is a certain unclarity to our lives and to our world. We try to do what we're supposed to do. That's what Hashem wants. Again, I'm not trying to say we're lost. We're not lost. We know what we need to do. We got to be the best we can be. And that is a success. But there is a certain lack of clarity in how we're supposed to go about our lives and how we could be the best we can be, what our potential is, what our mission is. And that's potential. It's a loss of potential. So to answer our question is that the base of English represents is the place where Hashem Shechina dwelled and is the place where we could be the best we could be. The world could be the best it could be. So with that, I want to conclude to the, today's Mishnah. Hope you all enjoyed. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at rabbishlomokon at gmail.com. Everyone, have a great day.